The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy trends, innovations, and debates. Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guest on Off the Shelf is Jeff Kosas. Jeff is the Senior Procurement Executive at General Services Administration. Jeff has uh, been at GSA, is it 30 years now, Jeff? Hey, more than that, Roger. Uh-huh. been there forever and a day now. Okay, well, yeah, let's not age ourselves here, Jeff. Um, but uh, I've served a variety of roles throughout um, his career at GSA for the Federal Supply Service first. That's right. Um, rose from a contracting officer. Is that management intern? Ma- the management intern. Wow. So really a long time. Then that, that's why it's over 30 years, huh? And As an intern. That's right. Okay. Well, today, um, you know, there's a lot going on at GSA um, with regard all, all across the uh, the agency. Lots of energy, lots of uh, procurement initiatives, and, you know, it's no better person to talk to them about than, uh, than Jeff Kosas as a senior procurement executive. So, Jeff, let's get started. Um, you know, one of the first things I think every, it's on everybody's mind, there's a lot of focus on and a lot of interest around is Section 846 and the uh, implementation of commercial e-commerce platforms, portals to support acquisition by the federal government. Um, so, I, you know, what are your thoughts? Where is GSA? And, um, you know, how are things going? That's three questions, Jeff, but you can hey, start. I, I bet we can get more in the map uh, before no. we're through today, right? Absolutely. So, Yeah, Roger, it's a tremendously exciting program, and there's a lot going on with it. I believe that recently our administrator, Emily Murphy, appeared on your show, and with that, she talked about uh, some of her priorities, especially including around transparency and around competition, both at the contract level and at the order level. Well, you know, we've really tried to take and run with that theme everywhere we're talking about uh, 846. So one of the key pieces to date has been all about that message on transparency and about competition. Thus far, we've had two public meetings, three requests for information, uh, well over a dozen industry meetings, every one of which has given us some really valuable feedback, things that are kind of shaping an ongoing conversation. Right now, we're deep into both agency and industry conversations. Yeah, and could you just talk a little bit about the implementation plans? And I know, you know, there's the comments we're due uh, this month on the RFIs, but just the implementation plan and then what the, yep. you know, a little bit about the next, we're in phase two, I guess. You can talk about the phases. Sure, and ab- absolutely. With the legislation, Congress gave us a very stylized, a very formal way to approach and to think about this, and it sets some of the vocabulary and some of the process steps. So what they called phase one was uh, a direction, GSA, OMB, you have 90 days, go, come up with an implementation plan, go. So this was mid-December, meaning that the implementation plan had to be crafted, had to be cleared by both agencies, and had to be to Congress by the middle of March, that 90-day window. So with the implementation plan, uh, we first concentrated on listening, on kind of understanding, defining the market, figuring out what's going on in this space. Uh, With that, we uh, came up with uh, a set of legislative proposals and a game plan to move towards a proof of concept by the end of uh, 2019. Uh, The two uh, major legislative proposals were, one, all about competition. Roger, I I know you share my passion, my commitment to the importance of competition. Well, absolutely. 
That's the American way. Yeah, you, you better believe it. <laughs> uh, the second one, and hold on to your chair on this one, okay. was an increase in the micro-purchase threshold to $25,000, but just for orders running through the uh, portal, not across the micro-purchase threshold more globally. So that is kind of how we saw the path forward to get into a really robust and meaningful test. That was phase one. That was the implementation plan that we turned over to Congress in the middle yeah. of March. And there's an um, interesting aspect of the implementation plan, which I like to hear, you know, the thinking and what, what you went through. And that's uh, you identified, you know, the different types of marketplaces. The, you know, this, as you know, the statutory language is now is pretty broad as to what an e-commerce platform is. And I know it's very interesting that a GSA actually identified like three different types. Can you talk a little bit about that before we move? Ah, to, the, to phase two? <laughs> ah, absolutely. To do that, it's cleaner if, if I give some company examples. So I hope all these our sponsors are going to fully back you. Um, that, no, that's fine. It's, and, <laughs> and I'll say this for you. Mentioning company names is not an endorsement by GSA, no, right? I, of thank a particular. You. Okay. <laughs> no, I was just playing with you there. Right. First uh, is uh, the traditional e-commerce portal. Think of a company that sells its own products through its own website. So one of the companies who's spoken in one of our public meetings that kind of addressed that uh, concept was Staples. So buying a Staples product through the uh, Staples site, that's an example of a company selling uh, what we call a commercial portal. Second uh, version is an e-marketplace. This is uh, one spot where a company could sell both its products or many other companies' products. An example of a company that sells both its and other products would be eBay. Amazon's another example. Amazon sells things under an Amazon brand name. Amazon sells things under uh, many other company names. There's actually a surprising number of these that we've been learning about through uh, the ongoing conversations. Some in very specialized e-marketplaces. Mm -hmm. Great piece. The third part we talked about is an uh, aggregator, an integrator. I think those are easiest to understand if you think about the travel world, where uh, there's a number of websites that uh, sell a whole host of different airline tickets, a whole host of different hotel rooms. So you're able to go into one screen and see side by side that full range of competition. Right. And they sort of set the business rules for, you know, the the buyer and yep. provides that and go out and search. And like, and then there's an example, they actually, SAP Ariba actually spoke at your public meeting too and talked about yeah, you know, uh, that approach. SAP Ariba is yeah. an example of one of those integrators. Yeah. Coupa is another. Yeah. So you have those three. You had your legislative recommendations. You did a lot in ninety days, um, and now we're into phase two. And you've got you had the public meeting and RFIs. Can you talk about where you're you're going now with with this in this phase? Absolutely, phase two. And once again, we are in a very formal, very uh, designated phase. Phase two is all about uh, market analysis, uh, market research. Uh, Congress gave us a really incredibly long and impressive list of questions, of things we should consider, of things we should look at. You know, Roger, we've never known Congress to do that, have we? Uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, but they asked us to look at a whole host of things. Uh, for example, how do e-commerce portals actually operate commercially? Not how will they operate in government space, but how do they operate in the commercial market? How can data uh, be managed? How can it be kept secure? How is it best used both by government and what are our concerns in the portal companies uh, having that data? How do federal uh, departments and agencies uh, best make use of these portals? What should and what should not be purchased uh, in this way? And that takes us into some really good supply chain conversations. And really, how does all this affect the overall procurement ecosystem? So right now we're in this one-year time period to answer these questions. 
trying to answer them through a, a series of uh, different efforts, through our, our most recent industry days and potentially future ones, through our request for information. I understand there might be, I think at the industry day, you mentioned there might be one in the fall. Uh, yeah, we're, we're looking at a potential industry day in the fall as we get closer to both wrapping up this report, checking the assumptions, and uh, moving forward on the proof of concepts. Okay. So no date yet, but uh, probably a good likelihood of as fall moves into winter, we'll hold a next industry day. Okay, great. Can you talk, so that phase two is sort of, it's, it's that market research sort of figuring like the state of the world, I guess, sort of speak, and e-commerce. Uh, phase three, is that where you're doing the, your, the proof of concept the idea? Because phase three is, I understand it too, is like identifying the rules of the road. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the language that they actually that actually used in the bill in phase three was guidance. So uh, we don't see that the proof of concepts would roll out before we've turned in the phase two report. Right. The phase two report is due to Congress in uh, March of 19. Uh, then phase three is anytime over that next year. That's what we think when we move into the proof of concept. That's when we uh, figure out what type of guidance do we set? What are the ordering procedures? What are the practices? How does all of this uh, roll out and play? Guys, one of the things you're going to be doing as part of phase two is figuring out, yeah, presumably, right, what the proof of concept is actually going to look like, right, based on what you learn about the markets now. Yeah. That- uh, during phase two, for example, we want to figure out what are the right things to actually test for a proof of concept. Right. You know, we don't want to go too big. Uh, this is a very different way of thinking and approaching uh, federal procurement. It's a different way to buy COTS items. So we want to both innovate, but do that in a way where there's some good guardrails, some good controls. So we've asked lots of questions. What are the right types of products to buy? We're talking to agencies. Who are the right components to play? uh, And what do we want to test? Right now, it's lots of market research, lots of hypotheses, lots of investigation going on. Right. And Jeff, we're already up on the first break. Already? Wait a minute. Already. So it's a lot there. Um, And when we come back, uh, I just want to also get your sense of what, what you see as the biggest challenges with regard to you know, this, this effort that you're working on and maybe a little bit about, you know, I think when at the public meeting, one of the things you mentioned was potential ordering procedures or not and what does that mean or not mean. Uh, and then we'll move on to some of the other you know, very interesting and dynamic things GSA is working on. My guest today is Jeff Kosis. He is a senior procurement executive for the General Services Administration. And you are listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Today, my guest is Jeff Kosis. He is the Senior Procurement Executive at the General Services Administration, and we're talking about all the interesting, fun procurement stuff that's going in at GSA. That's Um, right. We've really got a procurement nerd going today, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. We're a bunch of geeks here talking procurement. Um, So... Um, when we took the break, I mentioned like, what do you see some of the challenges and, uh, with regard to the, the process you're going through with this, which is a very, it is a very interesting process. And I th- actually think Congress was, was pretty thoughtful about, you know, how to, how to approach this since it does, is such an important effort. Um, so any challenges, what do you, what do you see some of the biggest things you guys are having to deal with? Sure. Uh, let's actually go back to what the legis- legislation asked us to do, because right there, there's what seems to be a conflict, and that's part of what we're trying to reconcile and to think through. Congress told us two different things in the legislation. They said all procurement laws apply, but at the same time, they also told us to uh, embrace commercial practice to the maximum extent practical. Now, I know this is going to totally shock your listeners, Roger, but there's differences between those two spaces. 
Really? No. Really? Yeah. Like there's I, gambling in this. I'm shocked. Yeah, I'm shocked. Gambling. Exactly. <laughs> so you know exactly where I'm going with this. Yeah. That's right. Uh. So what we've been really thinking about is how do we actually bring those two worlds together? How do we both have our procurement laws apply and uh, follow commercial practice? That's uh, both one of the biggest challenges and one of the most interesting aspects. In trying to harmonize those, uh, we put out a request for information, and I put out a blog where we kind of went very deep acquisition, uh, going through how many incredibly numbers of clauses have been applied to commercial items and some of the legal tests as to why they got there. It's opened some, some real space to say, you know, do we really need to apply all this stuff? Do we have room? And so we asked lots of questions. Is this the commercial practice uh, using just dozens and dozens and dozens of clauses saying, hey, is this how it actually works? Is it not? You know, Jeff, I think you hit on the, the fundamental the fundamental challenge that is is age old in the procurement system. And this provision just sort of, you know, puts a, you know, a microscope or a lens or whatever emphasizes it. And that's that balance between you know, government unique requirements and commercial practices and how, you know, what's the right balance there really is, mm -hmm. again, it's that thing that we've struggled with uh, throughout our entire careers, actually, frankly. Um, so that's a, that's a great point. Um, and just, you know, just real quickly, you know, thoughts on, you know, because one of the things that did come up, I think, through questions at the industry day was the idea of ordering procedures or not in the context of the ordering via the platform. Um, yeah, anything to share there? Sure. Roger, if we're to go back to the 1980s, and, you know, fortunately, neither of us can go back any further than that, at least in our recollection of acquisition issues. So if we go back to the 1980s. I think that's fair. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. You know, if we go back there, we kind of had this notion of uh, make three phone calls. Uh, you know, my kids don't even know what a phone call is. But if we actually go back to the days of make three phone calls, uh, we need to modernize that idea. We need to apply that to the world of uh, e-commerce. Well, the other part of that, you had to pick up the phone book to do it, to find the numbers, right? The phone book? <laughs> yeah, what phone is book? what you're right. <laughs> uh, you know, so when some people heard our micro-purchase uh, threshold, they thought of uh, that as the way we've traditionally think of a micro-purchase, something with no competition, you don't worry about it, it's really straightforward. They missed that hand-in-hand in, hand in our legislation, we also had that uh, proposal that GSA is going to create competition procedures and that Congress will give approval that our procedures meet uh, the Competition and Contracting Act. Uh, we need people to think of those two as working in tandem. So in coming months, we're, we actually have to put pen to paper, come up with ordering procedures, but they're all about modernizing that three phone calls, taking that into the digital age and applying that to how we will go by across several different portals. And I want to emphasize several because We've tried to be really loud and really clear that this will be a multiple award solution. Right. So that's that's a that yeah that's sort of one of the things that's been underreported is you know one of the legislative changes sort of analogous to your GSA not yours but GSA's authority to issue issue the procedures for the GSA schedules program. Is that fair to say? Uh, that's a really good way to frame it. We even went back and pulled that language to service the model. Because, again, we're trying to build a solution across government. We're trying to figure out what does competition mean today and how do we make it effective versus what it was uh, 35 years ago. So Okay. So we have really, and I'm, there's going to be plenty of opportunity to talk more about Section 846 and implementation of the, of the e-commerce platforms. Um, let's turn to some other things that GSA is, interesting things GSA is doing. And 
You know, the first one I wanted to ask you about is a commercial solutions opening pilot program. Uh, what that's is that? right. And being a good government procurement geek, I have to talk in acronyms. Okay. So uh, commercial solution opening, that's going to be CSOs for the rest of this conversation. Okay. We don't have time CSOs. for that long name, okay, right? Okay, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> well, so CSOs are a uh, competitive, uh, and you're going to hear me say competitive over and over again here, a competitive acquisition process, but it's not governed by the FAR. It's about letting us competitively procure innovative commercial items, technology, and services. Uh, they're really all about opening up that field of competition. They're about streamlined, fast-tracked vendor selection. What's, uh, I think, really interesting and different about them is there's uh, no longer a uh, presumption that uh, we hold the intellectual property. Rather, the presumption is the vendor holds the core intellectual property in and around them. They're not the same thing as OTAs. Uh, lots I was going to ask you that. Yeah, yes, lots okay. of people are really focused in thinking OTAs. Uh, OTAs are not contracts. Uh, they're agreements. What we're setting up with our CSOs, those are those are indeed our contracts. They're competitive contracts. Uh, we've built some important uh, control points to make sure we're using this widely. Just like we talked in 846, we want to wade into innovation, but with some safe harbor. So we've set up our agency innovation uh, acquisition advocates. Uh, these folks are going to uh, basically control the keys to get into this car. Uh, they're going to t take a look, make sure it's truly uh, innovative, it's truly competitive. Have I mentioned their competitive procedures here, Roger? Yes, uh, you, I think you have. Go, okay, <laughs> continue. continue. Okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, making sure that we limit the order size. Uh, Congress actually helped us on this. Uh, Congress said, GSA and DHS, you have authority up to $10 million in uh, CSO space. Uh, no contract can be larger than that. Uh, we've also created a uh, resource center to basically help explain what this is, how it operates, how this is different than OTAs and many of the other uh, less traditional procurement approaches that are out there. So, and so is this going to be, I mean, it sounds like it's primarily going to be in the I IT space and uh, or not. Uh, we think a lot of it will be in the IT space, but it also can play in areas such as our uh, green proving ground within our public building service. Interesting. So, and, and since you mentioned DHS, as all as you know, to the extent it's IT, are you looking at things like you know cyber or you know that's or is it just any kind of poten potentially cutting edge capability uh, that you're looking? It's anything that's both cutting edge and commercial, because we are mm. looking to buy emerging commercial innovative uh, solutions here. So okay. we're, we're not looking for those government unique solutions. We're not looking for something that is well established in the marketplace. We're looking for those things that are entering uh, that space. Uh, you know, if we were to talk cyber, we'd be talking phase three, the moment that things are starting to become commercial. That's uh, the sweet spot for this. And so do you go to the GSA website to find out more? You mentioned uh, this. Uh, yep. Uh, it's it's on our uh, public uh, policy page that you can get to from gsa.gov. Great. Excellent. For your office, the public policy? Yes. Yeah, okay. Great. Interesting stuff. Um, uh, you know, that's, uh, that, that is a program that I think a lot of folks haven't been focusing on uh, currently. And um, we'll, you know, I think now folks, given this information, are going to be taking a look at that uh, to see where it goes. Have you made any awards yet, or are you just picked uh, it, launched it? We we just launched the authority in May. We have the first acquisition underway uh, being done by our FedSim organization. Uh, we have probably two to three more that will follow this year. Uh, we're getting lots of interest, lots of comments, lots of uh, questions from other other federal agencies. Because remember, a big piece of what we do is assisted acquisition. Right. 
you know, in SOAS, we have people who are kind of frustrated by how the acquisition system has become layered down, has become slow. Lots of folks are really interested in this, and it's one of several ways we're trying to bring some speed, some agility back into acquisition. And and just a lot, one last question. DHS, is, have you um, had an opportunity to talk to like the Procurement Innovation Lab over at DHS, like some of the things they're doing that might be uh, helpful? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, we love what uh, Soraya is doing with the uh, Procurement Innovation Lab. We've, we've talked about that. Uh, we've compared procedures. I'm actually really pleased we approached this challenge really differently because that makes for such a good test. Seeing two different agencies uh, try and run an authority in different ways. We can compare results. We can figure out what's the best approach and Less. then go for legislation to make it permanent. Right. Let, like, it's yeah, five-year authority yeah, right sort now. Of cum- you know, get the lessons learned across the organization. Uh, exactly. Right. So, okay, Jeff, we're already up on the next break. Um, my guest today is Jeff Kosas. He's a senior procurement executive for the General Services Administration. And when we come back, we'll talk about some additional 2018 reform efforts, you know, and also what's going on. And now this is really getting geeky, what's going on with the GSAM. <laughs> That's the GSA Acquisition Regulation, which ha- actually has a huge impact given GSA's, you know, purchasing, you know, accounting for uh, close to $60 billion. Uh, $60 billion, $1 yeah. in every eight uh, government spending. Yep, GSA touches. So, uh, and, and we'll be right back. You are listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. This is Jared Serbu. I'm tweeting daily about the news that's interesting and important to the armed services and the defense contractors who serve them. Follow me at WFED. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Today, my guest is Jeff Kosas. He is the Senior Procurement Executive for the General Services Administration. And uh, we're talking, we've been talking all things procurement, or at least lots of interesting things going on at GSA. And I know there's some additional reform efforts that GSA has undertaken um, for 2018. Um, Jeff, I'm going to let you talk about those. I know one thing. You know, I hate to admit it, but I, you know, I, I, I did practice law at one point, and you know, so regulations are kind of important important to me, or at least I understand the concept of them. And um, and one of the things I know you're working on is the GSAM as well, and um, uh, and and other policy documents. Can you talk? Because it will Im- impact, you know, your thousands of contracts and billions and billions of dollars. Uh, it, that it, it absolutely will. One of the key things that the administration has focused on is regulatory reform. There have been two executive orders uh, put out on that topic. For those folks playing along at home, that's 13771 and 13777. We're really getting geeky here. We, we are truly <laughs> geeks here. That is sad, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's so, good. It's good. No, it, it's very good stuff. So using that as a starting point, what GSA did is set up a regulatory reform task force. Now, I hate to admit that we're can talk about things other than acquisition, but GSA also manages the federal travel regulations, yep. federal management regulations, has a very vibrant $5 billion a year leasing program. So we went out with all those, as well as with uh, the GSAR, GSAM, and said, hey, world, give us your thoughts. Where are there opportunities for uh, reform? Uh, we went to our employees, we went across government to other agencies, and we went to the public through the federal register. Let me give you uh, just... A couple of examples of what we've done in the acquisition space that I think make a really interesting and important story on just this. First, let's start in the uh, world of construction contracts. We do uh, quite a bit of 8A work, uh, orders below $150,000. So what the uh, GSAM used to say where we were, 
even orders that small, we required uh, bonds from our 8A companies. Uh, we actually took a look at that. What does that mean? One of the suggestions came in through the reform task force. So what are we doing? So uh, when we require bonds, we're adding 10 days to the acquisition cycle. We're adding 3% to the cost. You know, this for something companies that are already vetted by SBA, uh, less than $150,000, minimal risk. You know, why would we, do, we be doing that? You know, Roger, that's the question we were asking ourselves. That's why we pulled that requirement out of the GSM, one of, one of many examples of what regulatory reform means today. Yeah, it's kind of like over-prescribing, over you know, something that, you know, oftentimes, Jeff, I just think about your thoughts on this, is that things like that happen and get put in regulation based on an on, on a, on a incident or like one situation oftentimes that, you know, you know, you know, sort of escalates or turns into, well, we need a rule to address that rather than sort of making that cost-benefit risk analysis to say, okay, you know, yeah, we can make a rule of it, but it's going to, in the long run, it's going to cost the government and the small business, 8A small businesses, a lot more. That- mm-hmm. No, no, that's exactly it. That's such a good way to put it. And so let me use that as uh, my second example. Over the last uh, 25 years, Federal Acquisition Service, uh, or Federal Supply Service before that, created lots and lots of its own uh, policies. Uh, you and I actually signed more than a few of those to help create and establish those. That's true. We sure did. Yeah. So, the you know, the inventory... Don't blame me. No, go ahead. Ah, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll blame you. You okay. can blame me, and then we'll be even, right? Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. So the, so the inventory built up, but as part of this acquisition reform effort, uh, uh, we took a really deep dive into that. Uh, Mark Lee led the effort. Uh, and, you know, so we started going one by one. And Mark is the assistant, Mark is the assistant commissioner for policy and compliance. He's the guy who oversees the FAST policy. So as we started going through that, what we found is, you know, we have dozens and dozens and dozens of policies on things such as uh, dealing with uh, how we take money in, how we manage it. Uh, the policies sometimes contradict each other. Some are outdated. Some are referring to processes and rules that no longer exist. You know, it's slow, it was slowing things down. It was creating confusion. So... Uh, what uh, Mark ultimately ended up doing was eliminating 230 existing FAST policies. You know, think about that. We wiped out one-third of all FAST uh, acquisition policies. We freed the acquisition workforce up. We're accelerating innovation. But, you know, we did it responsibly. We kept the things that actually matter that make sense that are current. You know, the stuff that you and I didn't sign probably. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's got to be the case. Yeah. Absolutely. So another area I know that's a big focus of yours um, and um, in that, that, and it's vitally important is the acquisition workforce. Can you talk about what um, you and GSA is doing in that arena as well? Uh, probably for the next six weeks, I can talk about nothing but the acquisition workforce. So, well, we could so do cut it. me off at any point uh, here. Uh, uh, okay, we do uh, a series here. I uh, okay. <laughs> so uh, GSA's acquisition workforce, it's, a, it's about 8,000 people by the time we add in the contracting officers, the lease contracting officers, the program managers, the cores. Uh, you know, it's a huge audience, uh, which together are uh, handling well over 150,000 actions a year, uh, 10 to $11 billion in GSA spend, uh, $58 billion through FASA vehicles, $5 billion through uh, leasing, just a huge uh, effort. But just to focus on our uh, 1102s, our contracting officers, for just a moment, one of the areas we've been looking about is how we buy IT and are we indeed buying IT the best way we can? It's changing. It's changing incredibly fast. Uh, 
And so what we've did is we took a deep dive, and I'm, I'm getting really geeky, I'm sorry. We took a deep dive into the competencies. What are the key things that we need people to know to be effective our IT buyers? Uh, and we realized that these our overall certification program, uh, something called the Federal Acquisition Certification and Contracting uh, mm -hmm. Program, you know, it's a set of competencies that was for general acquisition. It doesn't really cover what we need to buy IT effectively. Uh, there are key competencies that are not addressed, uh, not thought of, because it's an older program. So uh, we've been creating those competencies over this year, things such as understanding market intelligence, uh, things such as uh, electronic communication, uh, a host of fundamental things. But maybe more interesting, maybe more fun, uh, I've created something that we've called a national warrant. GSA has 34 different uh, heads of contracting activity. And forever, the way I didn't realize that. That's 34. That's Is that not amazing? Wow. Yeah, it's our amazing. regional commissioners, uh, 11 regions, two services, 22 there. It's our. That's like Alan Thomas when he talks about your number of systems at FAS. is like 170 or something. Yep. Yeah. Uh, they've got a great deck of cards that makes a visual. or made three or four decks of cards. Okay. It, it's a powerful <laughs> way to show yeah, that. Yeah. So, anyway, anyway, 34. We, we've got 34 heads of contracting activity. And the way that we had issued warrants... It was only good when you're acting under that head of contract activity you report to. So if you wanted to go support work for another region, another organization, we had to stop everything, get issue a second warrant, take you through a second control process. That made us really slow and inflexible. So one of the key things we just did is said, you know what, that makes no sense. Let's stand up a national warrant uh, so that it is good across the agency. Uh, thus far, we've turned that on for the public building service, first in leasing, and uh, just in recent days in acquisition. Right. So you, I guess someone could theoretically have 34 warrants. Uh, yeah, that is possible. <laughs> if we had a, that acquisition superstar supporting everyone, 34 warrants. Wow. That's, yeah. Sign the right one. Now, don't use the wrong warrant here. Right. Right. If you yeah, use the wrong one, the wrong. Yeah. Um, so, and it's, that's, so it sounds, you know, you're trying to create, I guess, sort of, I don't know, for lack of a, you know, business, pro giving people, understanding of how business, how the IT market works, how IT works mm -hmm. and that sort of thing, sort of beyond just knowing the regulations, but understanding the industry, right? Are, are you looking, I mean, that, you know, the two, you know, the two areas where f people focus on spending is IT is one, the other one is professional services. Mm -hmm. Are, would you look to expand that program potentially for that? Or do you see it already? They're kind of in, interlinked. Uh, they're they're definitely linked, but you know traditionally we've always said okay you need to specialize to buy construction we had different classes different training different warrant we've never done that with IT before so that's okay. part of where I'm trying to go when I was talking about competencies a moment ago to say buying IT is really different it's become an art Roger you remember the date can the date the debate can a contract person buy anything or do you have to specialize in an area right yeah you know, we've talked about that for 25 30 years right mm, right yeah sure we have. Just yeah. like the balance between <clears throat> government unique and commercial. Mm -hmm. But looking at the complexities of the challenges of buying IT today, I think we've settled that debate. You need to know and understand the mm -hmm. nature of what you're buying. So that's what this competency focus is about. It's being able to really be a part of an integrated cross-functional team. It's understanding the language, the issues. It's being a recognized IT expert, just as our COs who buy construction are recognized construction experts. Right. And Jeff, we are up on the break. Um, my guest today is Jeff Kosas. He's a senior procurement executive for the General Services Administration. And when we come back, we'll talk about the GSA Schedules program. There's a lot going on in that arena. There's a lot of 
recent uh, reforms with regard to some of the key contract provisions and flexibilities. Um, you and folks, you are listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Today, my guest is Jeff Kosas. He's a senior procurement executive for the General Services Administration. And uh, we've been talking today about some of the GSA's very interesting and potentially impactful uh, you know, reform efforts uh, across its acquisition operations. And, of course, there is the GSA Schedules Program, which accounts for about uh, over $30 billion in annual purchases by federal customers. Um, and, Jeff, there's a lot going on in that space, too, uh, and I'm just going to turn it over to you. Uh, you know, <coughs> give, us, give us the lowdown. Okay. Hey, Roger, did you uh, read uh, DOD's uh, most recent 809 uh, panel report? Uh, clocking in, what, about 450 pages or so? Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I can't, I have to confess. I, I didn't read the whole thing. No. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I have to be carrying it around with you. Uh, okay. No, it's pretty heavy. <laughs> right. But one of the key things that they lead with, uh, is the, uh, is the sentence that the defense acquisition system requires greater speed and ability to be responsive in a dynamic environment. Uh, as I read the report, that was kind of their thesis statement. You know, I think that's a great thesis statement, but I'd take the word defense out of that statement and say that the acquisition system requires greater speed and ability to be responsive in a dynamic environment. You know, to me, that's exactly what mass reform is all about. That's uh, what's going on in this uh, process. It's streamlining processes. It's simplifying policies. It's modernizing technology. It's enabling that speed, that responsiveness. You know, I've had a lot of conversations, for example, with industry representatives uh, they bring up LPTA. We're back into the acronym speak. Right, low speak. price, technically acceptable. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So one, you know, what I often hear is one of the reasons that agencies do uh, low price, technically acceptable is it's a it's a lot faster. Uh, it's because of uh, fear of protests. You know, maybe, or maybe it's not the fear of protests. Maybe it's the fear of the time of the protest. Uh, that three and a half months to uh, settle it. You know, every customer satisfaction survey we've ever seen, and I know you've seen a lot of them. What is the primary benefit of MAS? The number one thing people point to? It's speed. Yeah, it's, it's making the uh, program fast. Uh, you know, so if we're using technology to make it easier to add products and services uh, to MAS, uh, if we're reducing the risk, if we're reducing the compliance burden, if we're reducing the costs on industry, if we're ensuring fast ordering procedures where we can obtain full solutions, you know, then we're really making the most of the schedules program. We're accelerating that value. We're focused on exactly the problem that uh, the 809 panel uh, highlighted. And I'd suggest some of the key things that uh, you've seen us focus on are really trying to hit uh, at exactly those topics. In the regulatory space, that's order-level materials. That's our commercial uh, software licenses. Uh, that's the effort to uh, reduce the number of schedules. That's making it easier to understand the terms and conditions and pursue schedules. You know, so I'm happy to get into any one of those. Uh, you know, pick a couple. Let's talk about them. Okay. So, um, geez, you, you could be on this side of the mic, Jeff. Uh, Jeff. Um, so order level materials. Let's start with that one because that's one that, um, you know, GSA, you know, GSA just met with a bunch of industry folks at, at a coalition meeting and, and gave a briefing on it. Um, there's high, high interest across the program amongst uh, GSA's interest, industry partners. Um, so let's talk about that. Okay, so um, if we were to go back uh, 
20 years, we had something called uh, the incidental item rule. It was the basic idea, hey, if we're trying to buy a full solution, you can't possibly have every situation envisioned, every uh, permutation, have every single item you could possibly need under your schedule contract. So the historic practice was have most items under contract and allow incidental items. Well, back in uh, the late 90s, uh, through the uh, Court of Federal Claims, through our GAO, we lost that incidental item test. And you know, it took us a long time to figure out how do we restore that ability to offer a full solution set through schedules. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it kind of became an enshrined wisdom that you can't do it. So we took it through the regulatory uh, process to establish uh, the notion of an order level materials. Uh, again, it's combining innovation with some safe guardrails, making sure that it's easy to buy, that we can offer that complete solution, uh, that the solution, uh, two thirds of it has to be consisting of schedule items, there has to be a special item number, so we, we classify it, we have visibility, we can see, we can examine the data. Uh, the rule went into place in January. The uh, I'm sorry, the rule was enacted in January. It was implemented in June. And we've had now about 4,000 companies sign up. Uh, so we, we have it on a lot of our contracts across the seven major schedules, which actually uh, would require these full solutions. All right, so, uh, so in uh, sort of the way it works is that... Um, you know, if you've got a service solution and there's something identified at the task order level that isn't on your contract, so long as it's, you know, less than one third of the mm -hmm. dollar value of that order, that could be theoretically added as at the order level as opposed to having to be priced on the contract. Yeah, that's right? exactly right. The example I, I like to give to think about that is uh, facility maintenance. Uh, imagine that you're taking care of all of the uh, buildings on a campus, uh, two dozen different buildings uh, for the next five years. You're taking care of the heating systems, the air conditioning systems, uh, everything else in those buildings. Something's going to break. Something's going to need to be repaired. Do you know today what's going to break four years from now or what product is going to exist four years from now to come in and fix it? Uh, obviously, you don't. There's no way to know that today. So uh, the order level materials rule, it's following and solving that problem. And I can give you the same example in IT. You know, What new software am I going to need four years from now to solve a problem today? Right. So, so, yeah, so it provides a flexibility. You don't have to go out and redo everything to get to the solution uh, you need, right? Exactly. It's about that speed, that transparency, that visibility that uh, we've been talking about today. So, and, and your thoughts on the idea of to reducing the number of schedules and, and where is and where is FAS slash GSA on that? Uh, we saw kind of a test run of that uh, a year or two ago when we went from eight professional service schedules down to one. And I think from most of our industry partners, they tell us it's made it easier to manage. It made it cleaner for our customers, better able to understand that we're not drawing lines as to what is one type of a professional service, what's another type. Well, I think we're having exactly the same dialogue when it comes to schedules. You know, there's probably a right number. I don't know if the right number is one, five, ten. Sure. But the number is probably not the 23 or so that are there today. There's still a lot of confusion, a lot of a lot of artificial lines that make it hard for industry to be on the right schedule that make it hard for agencies. And yet the very idea is this is a way to reduce uh, the time, the complexity. It's a, an accelerant uh, to making acquisition happen effectively. I'd say it's just to make it, yeah, it should hopefully make it easier for customers, contractors, and GSA to manage mm -hmm. the program, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah. As part and parcel of that is one of the things you're going to look at too, like the number of line items. I mean, there's lots of you know, 
questions or con- and some concerns about um, you know the sort of you know not just contract duplication but, but line but, item duplication. Right, and we have a, a wonderful term for that. Our, our special item numbers, uh, GSA sins. Uh, you know, right, don't be sinful. Lots of fun yeah, with that, yeah, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. we, we can enjoy that one. Yeah. Originally, that was all about having a classification system. It's about making it easy to get in, to find, to get to the right product, uh, to get to the right uh, solution providers. You know, when we talk about 15,000, 20,000 contractors, it's hard to sort them out. That's why we had initially so many SINs. Today, technology really helps us uh, do that. We have much better search engines than we ever did. There's more room to play with that. That's Again, it's going to be a good conversation to figure out which special item numbers can stand separately and which ones need a unique identity. And that's part of the conversation that's going to happen uh, as part of the modernization efforts. And you're going to be reaching out to industry to the industry partners? Uh, very much so. Uh, that's one of the core things that we're focused on. Going back where we talked about our, our administrator, Emily Murphy's priorities, transparency, having that open dialogue, having that communication, central value for the agency. Sure. And Jeff, we got about a minute left. And so we've talked all about procurement. So as we began the show, you you know, we talked about um, being a couple old guys and been at GSA for for a long time, and you started mm-hmm. as a management intern. You know, just a quick thought: like, you, you, what, what do you see as the key characteristics? Whether it's um, you know leadership or even just success of an organization, and how you contribute to that. Okay, uh, two really tempting choices, uh, but let's go with the leadership piece. Uh. Let me uh, kind of rattle off what I think are three or four really important qualities in a good leader. First, ethical leadership. It's clearly a priority all across uh, GSA right now. Three other qualities I'd pick, resiliency, transparency, and empowerment. You know, resiliency, because the pace of change today is so fast. The political uh, light, the social media light is so intense that if we don't have really strong resilience, we get frozen in place. We don't take the risks. We don't innovate. We don't do the new things we do. Transparency, because you know, a leader always has to focus on effective communication. Recognize rumor, misinformation, that's going to go fill every gap. If we're not putting out real information, stuff is going to get made up. And empowerment. We face a never-ending talent war today. I think you'd agree with me on that. Yes. Yep. There's so many opportunities out there. Uh, leaders need to recognize, hey, we've got to attract talent. We've got to retain talent. We have to give them proper guidance, clearance, and then let them go run, let them explore, let them experiment. Uh, that's how we improve. That's how we grow. And that's some of the things that we've tried to do in updating our, our acquisition uh, reform agenda. It's about combining uh, experiment, piloting, test things, but do it in a safe environment. Uh, let people go experiment, learn, invest, uh, course correct, and continually improve. Right, and back them up when they uh, right. Absolutely. Right. So, uh, Jeff, uh, thanks for coming in today. Uh, my guest today has been Jeff Kosas, the Senior Procurement Executive for the General Services Administration, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Off the Shelf. Only on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. This just in. Reportedly, pigs can fly. We're going live to. Can't take another crazy headline? 
Well, here's something you can appreciate. The MyGM Rewards card gives you best-in-class rewards with four points for every dollar spent everywhere and seven total points earned per dollar spent with GM, bringing you one step closer to a new GM ride. That's the power of appreciation from us to you. Subject to credit approval, terms and limitations apply. Visit MyGMRewardsCard.com.